I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Over the last year, people of all ages have spent significantly more time living life through a screen. And that's been less of a choice than a necessity. The average adult now spends nearly four hours a day looking at a mobile device or a TV, according to eMarketer. And a Pew Research Centre report from October found that 63% of parents with school-aged children are more concerned about screen time now than before the pandemic. I'm one of them. An article in the Washington Post this month looked into the effects of a year lived online and concluded that boredom, burnout and falling behind are relatively common experiences. But it also stated that screen time as a concept to track and to worry about is no longer considered a valid framework in a world where the way we live our lives has been completely redefined. Now, as has been said on this podcast several times in the last few months, the genie is not going back in the bottle when it comes to time spent online. So should we be worried? How worried? And what should we do about it? Today's guest has quite literally written the book about screen time, and it makes for fascinating reading. After completing an English and literature degree, and then a master's focused on PR and strategic marketing, Becca Caddy developed a passion for writing and ended up taking a job as a copywriter at Asda, where she wrote the copy for product packaging. They were doing a huge rebrand at the time, and I was in charge of like cheese and bakery. Um, (laughs) Okay. You know, it was quite a funny sidestep, but it got kind of copywriter on my CV. While at Asda, she started a blog about what brands were doing online. As a result, Reputation Online approached her to write from them, and she was also writing about Tech for Bitch Buzz, a feminist pop culture website. From there, she moved on to being a freelance writer in the tech space, which is what she's done for the best part of 10 years. But last year, she wrote Screen Time, a book that delves into some of the myths and the realities of spending our lives online. I asked her what it was that led up to this. It was a mixture of all kinds of things, to be honest. So I think writing a book is something I'd always wanted to do. I've kind of done bits and pieces of fiction, but never like to book scale. So that might be something that I do one day, but it was it was never going to be a fiction book first, I don't think. So I've always wanted to write a book just generally. I've seen a lot of kind of peers who um, don't necessarily write about tech, but have kind of similar careers to me in kind of lifestyle and fashion yeah. who have written books as well. And it just seemed... It just seemed kind of like the next step for me, I think. And I think at one point, maybe a couple of years ago, I did feel a little bit stagnant. Like the tech journalism I was doing was kind of, was exciting, but I wasn't feeling kind of challenged. So I think as well, it was a challenge. I did get really lucky with um, finding a really great agent and then the the deal coming through quite quickly. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> writing a book or get the process is easy, but everything happened quite smoothly and quite serendipitously right. as well. I mean, the process of writing a book is different for different people, but had you written the book or uh, did you have a manuscript or had you written a couple of chapters and approached them with an idea or how did that work? Mm, so I guess it might be quite interesting to kind of go back to the beginning of that in that I knew that to get an agent, I really needed to have written quite a robust proposal. Yeah. So I spent a really long time writing a proposal about an idea that actually wasn't isn't screen time. So um, 
I think it's fine to say what it was. Um, <laughs> I was um, so um, it was going to be about kind of 10 different areas of tech and where we could expect to be in the next kind of five to 10 years. Okay. Which is actually more what I do day to day than than what screen time is really. Um, I do do a lot of kind of where are we going to be in five to 10 years? And I wrote a really, what I felt was really strong proposal. I spent a lot of time on it. I included everything you're kind of meant to do in a proposal, like a why it needs to exist, what the competition Mm -hmm. is, what the market's like, and then uh, two sample chapters. So even though that never actually became the book, because we decided, basically we decided that far too many things were moving at far too many different rates. And it just, it was going to get, it was going to get too confusing. But the great thing about that proposal is I got my great agent off the back of that. And I think because I'd sent such a detailed proposal in, it just made them take me very seriously from the start. And then we worked on the proposal for screen time together in a very quick amount of time. But I think, again, because I'd written the initial proposal, I knew exactly what needed to be in it and how how to write it and mm-hmm. kind of the tone of voice and things like that. So that's when we wrote the proposal for screen time. That was last January, February. And then we pitched it out in March. And then the kind of deal came through in April, May. That's interesting to hear. And I re- the reason I say that is... I had started to write a book as well, a similar sort of time, January, February last year. Yeah. And was on the point of agreeing a contract with a publisher when they they furloughed everyone, all their editorial right. staff. Right, okay. So it's quite interesting that, I mean, was there any interruption with what was happening with the pandemic or was it still fairly smoothly all the way through? Yeah, it was still fairly smooth. Um yeah, yeah, it didn't affect it too much, which was really strange. Um, you know, me feeling very glad that I'd signed a deal and was writing a book, but everything else in the world felt very kind of uh, chaotic. So yeah, it was it was a it was a strange timing. Becca says that the concept for screen time came from her long-standing interest in how we use tech and how we can use it better. She writes a lot about how we can have better experiences with technology. Whether that's ethics or how we can build robots that we feel comfortable with or how tech affects our behaviour. She says that she'd been looking at books about tech. And while there are some great books about detoxing or quitting social media completely, turning off tech isn't suitable for everyone. I felt like there wasn't something that was for people that know they can't for whatever reason, whether it's work or connection or they just feel a bit too dependent on their tech, but still want to find a bit of a better balance. I, I don't always love the word balance, but I think that's the best way to kind of describe it. And um, that was the idea before uh, the pandemic, kind of just before we knew it was going to you know, be global and a big mm. issue. And then I think since then, that's actually become even more of a of a, uh, a thing among people yeah. who, you know, know they use tech too much or want to use it less or in a different way, but know that they, they absolutely do depend on it um, for, you know, good, sol- solid reasons as well, like work, connection and education and everything like that. So it was thinking that there was a bit of a gap in the market there for a, a middle ground, especially from someone who loves technology because a lot of the people who write the other kinds of books and again some of you know they're, they're all great and for a very specific audience but um they don't use tech so much themselves or have as much kind of love for it as I do in a way um uh-huh. so so I felt like it was coming at it from a from a bit of a different angle yeah I know I'd agree with you I mean the, the timing of that is it's kind of exceptional isn't it to, to have come around <laughs> to write that and then what's happened in the last year yeah. I mean, arguably, it's it's well. No, I don't think even arguably. It's it's more relevant now than it 
probably was when you even started writing. I think so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say, I think it's a superbly researched book. The amount of time you must have spent just (laughs) pulling research together for that is incredible. And it it gives it a sense of of, of grounded in something meaningful rather than from a a pure behavioural angle. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I do. And, you know, that that was so important to me because... we, you know, we could say anything anecdotally about how, like me and you use technology, um, mm. which is, you know, there are some personal insights in the book, obviously, but it was really important to me to have it grounded in kind of what we know and what the studies and research say, not necessarily even about how we use tech, but, you know, things like emotional contagion, that's been a thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it, it that was, yeah, that was really important to me because I think, uh, again, I don't want to kind of criticise anyone, but I think far too often... I see articles and things where people have like, uh, I don't know, linked to another article that's linked to some other study, which was actually only about 10 people. And there's mm. just, I think we're just lacking a lot of kind of robustness in how we think about things. So that was, yeah, I'm really glad that that came across because it was, yeah, really, really important from the start. I mean, the whole notion of needing to cut down on technology use and screen time is is something I think everyone has been kind of, well, people were aware of that before the pandemic, but Absolutely, even, yeah. you know, even more now, it's it's talked about a lot. I mean, mm. you know, even, even I look at my kids and the amount of time they spend on devices now, and yeah. partly that's my fault as their parent for, for not keeping <laughs> them off, but it's been difficult the last year. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I think it affects more and more people. Some of the things you covered in the book, are the nature of kind of internet addiction and mobile phone addiction. Mm. Now, I mean, is there such a thing as addiction to the internet or addiction addiction to mobile phones? That is such a fascinating area. And honestly, you know, the first chapter is all about that, but I could have written a whole book on that in itself. (laughs) So kind of right now, officially, no, um, there isn't a, a kind of, tech addiction or smartphone addiction or anything like that and really it's because it's so hard to kind of pin down like some of the best thinking around it right now that kind of I feel like I fall on the side of a bit is more that it's around behaviors because really saying we're addicted to our phones it doesn't it doesn't really mean much I I don't really like to conflate it with kind of gambling but I guess it's kind of like saying you know we're addicted to a casino rather than like the gambling that we do inside it maybe right Um, something like that so there are a lot of people that think maybe it's more about the the behaviors and and that and I guess there are some really obvious ones like uh online gambling or porn but then a lot of people are kind of calling for to, to better understand what it is about how we might be defend, dependent on kind of tech and social media and how we might be addicted to that. And yeah. right now there are just no, there are no uh, diagnostic criteria set in stone either. So I, even though I say in the book, I don't think we're addicted, let's see it as habits, which is kind of the big thing I focus on. I'm not yeah. saying that in a couple of years, we won't find out that there is some kind of different addiction but I think the word addiction is just it's really difficult because uh I I quote a guy in the book whose name is just completely forgotten but he (laughs) says um that you know just because similar kind of neural pathways are being created like when people say take drugs it's not the same um so just because dopamine is at play and god dopamine is so complex and fascinating but you know dopamine plays a part in our addiction to again say like gambling or or drugs it's not 
it's not working in the same way when we look at our phones, even though it's still a similar process. So I think the quote is something like, I'm paraphrasing here, but like, you know, you could never want a cheeseburger or Facebook as much as you'd want hard drugs. Right. It's similar, but it's not the same. And I think that's something that we do need to catch with our language. I say in the book, how important it is, how we label these things that I've heard so many people be like, my phone is just like crack or something like that. And I know it's kind of a colloquial way of saying it, but it's really not. And I, I, I think saying we're addicted at least right now, isn't, isn't kind of right. But, but I mean, aside from the language of whether we call it addiction or a habit or whatever it is, and like you say, people do say things like that. I mean, I've heard it all the time. Mm. If we think we are addicted, whether that's the right word or not, if we think we are addicted, why do we keep going back for more? <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stuff at play. The the ro- Again, the role of dopamine is really complex, so I don't want to just simplify it, but <laughs> it is kind of all about seeking seeking rewards and seeking newness but also seeking things that we know have rewarded us before uh let's just use instagram as an example we know that sometimes we log into instagram and we get a certain amount of likes so we think well maybe there'll be some likes there again okay so that's one part of it another part of it that um again this is kind of proven, but a lot is kind of um, people guessing as to why we're so dependent on look- on checking. Um, but there's something called like a variable ratio or variable reward schedule. And that's been found to really keep people coming back for more in all kinds of contexts. And this is one of the reasons people like and like looking at our phones to maybe the the feeling of gambling or kind of pulling down a fruit machine and things like that. And it's because we can never guarantee guarantee what that reward will be. So if we knew that every time we went on Instagram, we'd have five likes, that wouldn't feel as kind of compelling as if we're not sure whether we'll have none or 10 or 20 or, or two or something like that. Right. So it's it's not only is it the dopamine at play, but it's also that it's the, it's the, it's the not being sure what we'll get. And that is really compelling to us, even when we know that often it doesn't bring us any kind of kind of great satisfaction. Mm. That is a is a big part of it. I find it interesting when people say to me that they're kind of, I don't know, sick of Facebook and mm. sort of wish I could come off it or whatever. I mean I, I came off Facebook and Instagram three years ago mm. maybe now. So I you know I hear a lot of people say that and it it does it does strike you as an odd thing that that habit, that that behaviour is there when when a lot of people seem to not want it to be there. But yeah. like I said, keep going back for it. And I guess that's that's where what you're talking about comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's either, you know, th- that's why in the book it's kind of like, I, and I'm actually all for people getting completely rid of a certain app if they just really don't feel like they need it. But it's also about really changing how you use it you know, I've completely changed how I use Facebook for as as an example, I've just stripped it down to maybe a couple of hundred people. And it's really just a close family kind of platform, because I know that that's the only place like my dad is and things like that. Mm -hmm. So and and yeah, I agree. I think, I think we're getting to a point where it's like, well, if this is actively making you feel bad, then you need to either, you know, accept that this is how it works or or change it or delete it. Yeah. It sounds from everything you're saying that it's a case of really having to rewire the habits that we've learned over the last five years or 10 years, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
And I write that in the book about kind of changing the habits and coming up with new like behaviors between like the kind of what what triggers us and what what rewards us. But that is a lot, you know, I think (laughs) I'm saying the word addiction isn't right, but the word habits often often feels quite light and and, and really and really Mm. it's not like it can be really difficult to figure out why it is you're looking at certain things and different for everyone as well, which I think makes it even more tricky to unpick like I can't say exactly why someone will be looking at Instagram compared to someone else so that's yeah that's what makes it difficult and 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 I think that's why it is about trying to get really uh don't always love the word mindful but mind mindful um of why you are going to certain apps in certain places like is it that you're looking for just a distraction or is it connection or do you want to learn something or you know maybe you can't figure out the reason and trying to figure it out is actually actually not helping <laughs> yeah so I think it's, it's it's actually really tricky but I mean that that is where you come from in this book it is about like you said earlier it's about balance really isn't it it's not about saying right you need to delete Facebook mm. or you need to only spend an hour a day on Instagram or whatever it is it's it's working out what works for you so you can still kind of effectively get that reward or use your tech in in a productive manner, but without feeling like you're spending your life on a screen. I think that's great. I think you've just summed up exactly what I wanted to do with the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very personal. And I I think if anything, I'd just like to, yeah, have encouraged some people just to think a little bit more about why it is they do certain things. Yeah. One of the questions I'm asked most often when I run training sessions on social media marketing is how best to publish, monitor and analyse social profiles. Without the right software, it's a time-consuming job, especially when we're all doing so many other things as part of our job roles. About 10 years ago, I discovered Agorapulse, an all-in-one solution to social media management, and I've used it and recommended it to clients ever since. So I'm delighted to offer listeners of Digital Download a one-month trial of Agorapulse for free. Head to agorapulse.com forward slash digital download to sign up and then revel in all that spare time you just created. A lot has been written in the last couple of years about the effects of technology on mental health, whether that's a specific device or a social network or an app. And when Becca started researching the mental health impacts of technology, she uncovered a lot of very interesting facets. One of the main findings is that it's far from a black and white issue. A lot of the studies that suggest that, you know, tech equals mental health problems, there's actually so much more nuance and and everyone's different. So I think the first thing that I'd encourage people to do is like bear that in mind when it comes to kind of maybe sensationalist headlines and things like that, that it's not as clear cut as, you, you know, your phone will make you depressed, which is often, you know, you see, and especially in relation to children, like I don't talk about uh, children or parenting that much in the book. I'd have liked to cover it more. Um, but that's the same in relation to children that absolutely it can kind of correlate. The tech use can correlate with some mental health issues, but it doesn't necessarily mean it always causes it. Mm, yes. I know personally, you know, I, I feel like m- my mental health kind of suffers sometimes when I use tech in particular ways. And I know some people hear what I just said and think like, well, no, it, you know, causing me all kinds of problems. And it's like, well, absolutely, it, you know, it, it does. But it's about, again, figuring out what aspect of tech use is causing you problems and what isn't because you know you could end up uh, just like binning your phone whereas really 
there are much more kind of interesting conversations to be had. And that's, um, you know, especially especially with kids and teens, actually, because it's like if we just end up banning things, then we don't figure out kind of what behaviours and issues there were. Yeah. I feel like I've gone off and one a bit there, but, you know, realising there's a lot of nuance here it, it, it is a big thing. And Sorry, I could just go on and on about it. <laughs> no, that's OK. I mean, you talked as well in the book about boredom being kind of a driver as well. And I think you you put it again two ways is are you on your phone because you're bored or actually is being on your phone making you bored? Yeah. You know? And there is so much of that as well. I don't know if you noticed throughout the book, but there is a lot of kind of um, people depressed because they're on their phones or, or are depressed people more likely to spend more time on their phone. So there is a lot of that, not chicken and egg, but kind of is it correlation or causation kind of kind of thing. And I mean, right now, we kind of don't fully know. Yeah. But there are some key things that have been linked to kind of um, a drop in mental health. Like I, I mentioned in quite a few of the chapters about social comparison, and that has been found to, you know, often negatively affect how people feel about themselves and then you know time spent there's uh, one study that calls it like the goldilocks time and i can't remember exactly what time it is but the (laughs) suggestion that loads of tech use but then also barely any tech use can have the same kind of mental health implications and there is this kind of sweet spot in the middle which again would actually be probably different for for everyone so it, there's a lot more nuance and we don't know a lot, but there are a couple of things that a lot of people point to. Yeah, I mean, talk about my own experience, actually. Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm fairly open that I suffer from depression on and off. Yeah. I have noticed when I am... So I, I came off Facebook and Instagram quite a while ago, but I still use Twitter and I still use LinkedIn. I have noticed in myself that if I am feeling low at any given time, mm. you know, I've got a bad week or whatever. My firstly my perception of what I read on social media changes. Yeah. And secondly, if I post something, I've noticed that I will be a lot more negative and critical when I post something than at other times. Mm. And it's an observation that you know, I've noticed in myself. I I, I use it almost as a as a barometer for how I'm feeling, right. which I know sounds a bit odd, but if, if I if I suddenly realise that I'm I'm reading Twitter and thinking everyone's been an idiot, mm. then then maybe it's not there. Maybe it's me. You know, if I'm posting two or three things that are critical and, and negative in a row, then maybe it's me that's got the yeah. problem. And I wonder whether other people do the same or I mean I don't know about your your mental health habits but have you ever noticed anything similar especially in research in the book as well yeah um yeah so in terms of personal stuff and I mention it in the book um so I've had kind of uh, problems with disordered eating for most of my life mm-hmm. and um I write in the book in the body image chapter about you know muting and getting rid of things that kind of might be triggering and what I find really interesting is figuring out what you need to just keep there and kind of persevere with maybe maybe that's the wrong word what you need to keep there and kind of deal with and just log off if you're not in a great place and what you actually need to delete and mute and make sure you never see because despite problems that I've had with disordered eating I really do enjoy fitness when it's not kind of um, taken to the extremes when it's just a healthy level of Mm. fitness but I had to really uh, I wrote about this in the book as well I had to really accept that like okay even though I enjoy fitness, if I see like fitness related accounts all the time on Instagram and people's bodies and stuff, 
like you said, it will be a barometer for kind of how I'm feeling about myself and how my mental health is right now and how things are. And I then I think I think then the responsibility is on like me to be like, well, maybe these are just people that I just can't have on social media. And maybe I should stop putting myself through Mm. wondering if I'm going to be in in the kind of right, right space or not. So that's why I do suggest kind of kind of blocking and muting as much as you want. But yeah. That maybe isn't, isn't exactly the same as what you're saying, but I do get that idea that sometimes I'll, I'll log on to things and feel so differently um, day to day. Mm. What you said make, makes me think of is, um, and again, I mention it in the book a lot, but that difference between kind of being active and being passive. And I notice when I'm feeling, because uh, I have a kind of history of depression as well. And when I'm feeling depressed and low, I just don't want to connect with anyone, but I do want to just scroll for hours. Yes, Yes, I agree. So when I came across that idea of, um, you know, being more active and that making you feel better, that really struck a chord with me. And and I say in the book, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying if you're uh, passively scrolling, you then need to, you know, send loads of messages to people. Because I personally, I often just can't force that if I'm not if I'm not feeling up to it. I just, it's just about choosing something else to do and, you know, realizing, oh, wait a minute, I've been scrolling for an hour. I haven't said anything or done anything or created anything or really engaged with anything in any meaningful way um so that was actually I meant to say that earlier actually a piece of research that was like whoa bit of a light bulb moment for me yeah I I would agree with that I totally agree with that I've noticed that in myself right okay one one of the things you you mentioned earlier was about emotional contagion Mm. and how we can pick up emotions through social media from other people and the same thing applies You've, you've almost got a bit of a responsibility there because if, yeah. if that happens to you, then you are giving out, you know, you are responsible for, for emotional contagion as well. Yeah. And I, and I say, I say that somewhere in the book. Um, I can't remember exactly how I say it, but, but uh, you can catch emotions online. And then also because a lot of the more emotional content tends to show up more and get people to interact with it more. So uh, what would the loop be? It'd be like if you can catch more emotions online, then when then you will produce more emotional content yourself, which will then be kind of pushed to the top by the algorithm, which then more likely more more people are going to see. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think um, and and again, you know, a lot of the book is about uh, I hate being kind, but you know, being being nicer to ourselves. But at the same mm. time, yes, I think there absolutely is a responsibility for how what we produce could then affect other people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So just just to kind of summarise everything you've researched and all the stuff you've pulled together, and this is far from an easy question to answer, <laughs> I'm just going to warn you. But I mean, and it is going to differ from person to person, but as a broad brush thing, how how do we deal with all this stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, all right, okay, the first thing, would be uh, to just go a bit easier on ourselves. I think this past year has been really, really difficult. And if we've, you know, if there's been, if, if we've had like a 50% increase in on screen time or something day upon day, little kind of notifications you get, or if parents feel like their kids are on screens way more, um, I think it's time to kind of just ease off feeling bad about that. Because I think, mm-hmm. I think it's like anything, the more we kind of shame ourselves and feel bad about it, the more we're not going to find good long-term solutions. We're just going to, you know, try and um detox or delete something and end up feeling even more kind of tense so i think you know a certain level of uh, acceptance and, and and being nice to ourselves and then just kind of 
getting more curious about how we use things and what makes us feel bad. And again, that's really not always easy, especially if if anyone has kind of any underlying mental health problems, because like we've just said, we both know firsthand that we can log into certain apps and feel very differently on on different days. Mm. But I think working out what it might be that kind of triggers a certain emotion or what person or what account and I think just getting a bit more ruthless about kind of muting or blocking or deleting or or just ch- completely changing the way you use something like um, maybe not the best example, but I, I, you know, I've really changed the way I use, say, something like Pinterest. I remember I used to collect like so many photos of people like aspirational lives and, and interiors and stuff and stuff that I actually really was never that interested in. But it just felt like that's how everyone else <laughs> is using the platform. And now it's very much just like you know, just the nerdy stuff that I really enjoy. And I go there to feel kind of soothed and happy. And I have absolutely no idea how many people are following me or how many followers I have. It's purely just a creative kind of outlet. And I don't care about how I use it. And I think that's kind of a good example of just, and and I actually use it for kind of mood boards for fiction writing and stuff now. So I feel like I've really transformed that app. But then like you said, I am all for people just thinking, you know what, this just isn't serving me. And and the people that I actually need to use it to connect with, I can talk to them here or I can talk to them in a different way. So, so yeah, picking and choosing, being kind to yourself and just trying to be mindful of what it is that makes you feel good or bad. And again, I know, I know that isn't easy. And, you know, I, I've, I've noticed uh, when I'm going through really low periods, I can almost... I don't want to kind of trivialize self-harm here, but I, I feel like I'm self-harming or self-sabotaging by looking at particular things online sometimes. You know, people who I know maybe I feel a little bit envious of, or as I've said before, like uh, fitness and health accounts that I know make me feel odd and bring up a lot of really difficult emotions. So that can be hard as well because we can look at things that we don't know are actually, you know, inadvertently hurting us. So it, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, you and I, both work in tech circles Mm. and a lot of people listening to this work in um, careers that involve a lot of tech use Mm. how do you find a balance between doing all the good stuff you've talked about when by very nature you've got to spend hours a day sometimes on tech on the internet yeah I mean um I actually think getting insights into how a lot of this works, because, you know, the variable reward schedule and the the kind of um, the role dopamine plays, that's not just kind of uh, Instagram and Twitter. That's pretty much everything we do online. It might be more mm. obvious there, but, you know, even even your email inbox, um, you don't know when an email is going to come in or how many they're going to be or what what's going to be there or what kind of connection or opportunity it could lead to. And often it's just rubbish. But the, the same thing is going on there, you know. So I think purely by shining a light on how some of this stuff works uh, might be helpful. And, you know, you might realize that, okay, actually, I don't need to be checking my emails every five minutes and this is why it's happening and things like that. So I think purely just being more aware of how the kind of mechanics that play underneath can be helpful. And again, you know, knowing that the, I hate to say the odds are stacked against you, but they kind of are in terms of tech. Like what what the platforms want is you to spend a lot of time on them. And that isn't very conducive to like focus and getting a lot of work done. So that that's the same thing, you know, knowing that it's your attention that they want is something that 
it's so difficult to unpick but at the same time just just knowing that could could be helpful um I know has been helpful for some people like a lot of people have told me the going back a bit but the emotional contagion stuff has just been really helpful for them realizing that 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 happens you know even without coming up with some plan can be useful the role of um that tech can play and how we procrastinate as well there's a bit of a section on that in the book and just that it really plays into our need for kind of instant gratification a lot of the time and we always have a way to kind of deal with that so that's why for some people I think you know content blocking apps and timers and things like that can be really helpful I know not everyone gets on with them but just literally stopping yourself from something that stops you from looking at something for 25 minutes while you can focus might actually be the best bet rather than trying to do all this stuff on your own but I do acknowledge how yeah how difficult it can be You can find Screen Time on Amazon or chat to Becca on Twitter. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.